want to spend my life with you, my life with you, oh baby, baby. Please my love for me, so with that, but I can't hold. I know that you're all alone, thinking about what you're going to do. I hope that you'll see it through. Ooh, ooh. I know you all love that. Welcome back to another segment of Unleashing the Future Work. God Live B2B Jam Session. That was by the lovely Tiana Taylor. Gonna love me. Definitely check it out. Her latest album was pretty fire. With that said, thank you so much for tuning in to our evening segment. Super excited about this evening segment because I have two rock stars I'm going to be speaking with. And one of them is currently on the line, tuned in with me, Precious Price, one of my really good friends who is a master at Personal Branding. She is the CEO and the founder of her own company, The Brand Table. She currently works with Accenture as a senior consulting analyst, but she is a master speaker, master motivator, and fundamentally, she will help you get your brand right and help you get your, 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 your personal brand right in line to where you need to go. She knows all about it and she talks about it every single week on all platforms. And I'm really excited to dive deep on her with it because I think now more than ever, people need their personal brand to stand out, especially on LinkedIn, given that we're all still kind of going through a pandemic. And the only way for you to stand out is by taking control of your career. So we're going to dive deep on that. So if you already know Precious, if you know of her, if you find her work, you've probably seen her on Instagram or LinkedIn. Show us some love in the comments, and we'll definitely recognize you as we have an amazing conversation with her. And shout out to the LinkedIn user user who says that she or he loves this song. Thank you. Love you. Appreciate you so much. With that said, let's bring on Precious. Precious, how are you doing? I'm good, Tim. How are you? Doing well. Trying to survive a pandemic. It's pretty crazy. Look, aren't we all? Aren't we all? It's been a struggle to say it's the been, least. <laughs> we've been going through this for almost a year now, like a full year. Yes. At this point, it's like we're vets in this. And it's like, it's scary, but it's wildly like I'm proud at the same time. Damn, we made it. <laughs> How have you been hanging out? Where are you tuning in from? You're in Atlanta, right? I'm in Atlanta. Yes. In Atlanta, South Atlanta, um, in one of my houses. Yes. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, so I want you to share a little bit with everyone a little bit about just how much you do. Because you know, I touch on it a little bit that you're speaking, you're motivator, and you actually are the the CEO of the, the brand table. But talk to us a little bit about all the other things because you're a mega entrepreneur and a lot of people don't know that about you. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So um, as you've already stated, yes, I do have my own business, The Brand Table, where I provide coaching and consulting uh, to professionals and entrepreneurs on how to get their brand together. And my sweet spot um, or where I play the most, I would say, is helping people to identify how they can bring together their their passion and their profession and create one cohesive brand honestly like you've done right um and like i've done as well but just bringing that together so that is like my bread and butter i would say the brand table i also work full-time for accenture um as a senior consulting analyst in our digital practice so that's still good balancing both of those um and accenture was one of my dream companies before i came on full-time so it's nice to be here. Then what people mostly don't know about um, or what I don't, I guess, pub a lot, <laughs> pub a lot. Um, I do uh, 
have a short-term rental business. So I do Airbnbs here in Atlanta. I have two currently and I'm working on locating um, a multi-unit. So anybody watching, if you have a multi-unit in Atlanta, let me know. <laughs> I have that. Uh, I have my short-term rental business and I also have a vending machine business as well. So we have two vending machines here in Atlanta where we pretty much cater to creative spaces rather wow. than your typical offices, providing personalized vending solutions. Um, so your studios, like co-working spaces, hair mm -hmm. salons, those are a type of locations. That's amazing. So you have all of these different streams of income just coming in, <laughs> you know, capitalizing on, which is amazing. But want to have you touch on a little bit about, because you said something here, connecting your passion and your profession and making it one cohesive personal brand. Talk mm -hmm. to us a little bit about what inspired you to get into this place of personal branding because a lot of people talk about personal branding but why is this so important for you personally mm -hmm. so i particularly love personal branding specifically because like you you're framing the way people think about you um mm -hmm. and growing up because i got into personal branding um my freshman year of college so growing up in in high school right like typically, especially when you're kids, you take on all of these identities that people like are just floating around, right? Like if they say like, oh, like you're a bad student, like that's floating around and that's attached to you. Yeah. So when I was introduced to personal branding. Um, I would say it was my first semester of my freshman year of college at Indiana University. I was in the School of Business and we had to take a personal branding course. Um, and it was the best thing ever. Most people did not take that course seriously. I loved that course, yeah. like, absolutely loved it. Um, so when I was going through that course, I pretty much realized I'm like, I have the power, I have mm -hmm. the ability, um, I have the know-how to frame the way people think about me. To how do I want to be viewed by other people? Who like what do I want to be an expert in? So when I realized that through that course, right, I'm like if I pretty much just start doing this online, if I say that I am this, if I mm. move like this, if I act like this, if all of my actions are aligning with this and people are already saying, you know, like, P, can you help me with internships, resumes, cover letters? If they're already doing that, I'm like, well, yeah, I might as well attach this as my brand and put a name to it. Um, so for me, that sauce of kind of bringing together your profession and your passion came because I knew that, okay, I don't immediately want to jump into entrepreneurship. Like, I don't want to immediately jump into what I have going on. I want to do both. And I'm someone who firmly believes you can absolutely do both. You can have your job and your career and you can be a rock star, right? Like, you can be a standout player. They're always bringing you to speak, doing all of these crazy things. And you can also tap into these side passions that you have, right? Like, these callings that you have and be able to bring them together when you understand what both of those are, bring them together so that they're feeding one another, right? So that your personal brand is working for your career, but your career is also working for your personal brand as well. Um, and I say, I, I would say I'm a really good example of that. Yeah, so like there's synergy. In, exactly. In yeah, for synergy. you, what, what moment did you realize, oh, I could combine them both together and really create a powerhouse brand around me? Because you have a, you have a brand movement around you mm -hmm. uh, in the brand table. And, you know, you've done such a great job in not only kind of like leading your movement, but bringing people along with you. So what moment was it for you where you're like, I could take this up a notch because, you know, me and you've been friends for quite some time. Yeah. And I've seen the progression. But what moment was it for you? You're like, oh, this is it. I could take it to the next level. 
It was when, so when my career, when Accenture actually started to acknowledge everything that I was doing on the outside, right? Because it was like a thing before, like when I got hired on, before Accenture even hired me, I've always had my own thing going on. I've always been in this branding space, but it, before it was probably just like, oh, like she, she likes to talk about it. She's making videos. It looked like she's making a little bit of money, but yeah. you know, and then it really became a thing where they're like, oh, this is, like this is real because I would talk to people at work, like managers, and they're like, "Oh, you got a little side business, like, yeah." <laughs> and it's like it's a little more than little, um, but but absolutely, it's an so, entire empire. <laughs> hello, hello. Um, so I've been building that, but when I actually realized that, like, okay, I can really make this work because. Accenture started to like based on the outside work that I was doing, like people would start to see like, oh, like you're, you're speaking where this weekend? Like, what are you doing? And it's like, oh, okay. So then Accenture started to bring me in. Like I would start to host branding workshops for certain teams. I would start to help out with branding, like on campus with the students, they would send me to conferences to talk about branding. And at that point I'm like, okay, these could come together and these could work really well because those who, especially with like personal branding, right? And being that it's a topic that everyone for the most part can resonate with, even those who find me just solely based on the fact that I work at Accenture, they then are like, they stay because they see that I'm balancing like my side passion as well. Because I like to think like everybody has both for the most part, unless you're an entrepreneur. And even then there are pieces where it's like, these are the things that I have to do. And these are the pieces that I'm really passionate about, passion and profession. Um, so everybody has both. But many people, I feel like, cling to me because they see me balancing both. And I say balancing very loosely. Tim, you know what I mean. Being an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur. Exactly, exactly. So they see me doing both. And it's more of like that 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 fearlessness to actually put yourself out there and do it. And I think that's the first piece. Like, I don't even think I'm doing anything extraordinary, right? Like to me, I'm doing nothing extraordinary yet. Nothing yet. However, what's extraordinary to other people is what's ordinary to me. And what's extraordinary to them is the fact that, wow, you actually stepped out and you took a leap and you did it. That's the extraordinary piece for them. Yeah. And you're doing it. So, you know, for you, how do you think people should kind of peel back that veil of fear because you're right there is a fearlessness that you have to go about embodying in order to kind of be able to build your personal brand internally within your company but also understand that you know if you're creating that level of value within your company you should also take that out and be able to promote yourself a lot of people have kind of struggle with imposter syndrome or self-confidence so mm -hmm. how do people kind of peel back that layer of fear so they can get there i'm, I'm gonna put it simply yeah. You peel it back by figuring it out. And let me explain a little bit about what I mean. We fear what we don't know. Mm. We fear the unknown, right? Like we fear the fact that like, oh, you fear the dark because you don't know what's in the dark. You don't fear the dark itself, right? Or like you fear heights because you fear, like your fear is the end result of falling and getting mm. hurt. Not necessarily the act of falling. Many of us like free falling, right? Um, so in order to kind of peel back, okay, how do I really step out and peel back like that fear of actually putting myself out there, putting my brand out there for the world to see, including my employer, right? Not hiding anything from your employer, including your employer. How do you peel that back? It's understanding like, okay, what is it? 
about like this outside piece or this outside passion that I have that I'm afraid of letting other people in on. Right. Like, what is it about it that you feel like? Because typically I find that the initial fear is that, well, I don't want to get fired because, you know, what I'm doing, what I want to do is similar to what I'm doing in my employer. Wow. And it, it's typical. Right. Like it's similar. Like what I'm doing is similar, but it's not the same. Right. So identify the ways again, like you at that point, if it's similar, you already have a synergy between your profession and your passion. Right. Like they come together. But unless you are directly trying to steal clients from your employer, for the most part, they're not going to have a problem. Um, so peeling back that fear is really understanding like, OK, what do I need to know about my profession? What do I need to know about my passion? How can I figure out more of how do these come together? Like, why did you get started? Because me, for me, that helps me to then step out and say, you know what? Like, I don't care what other people think, because the typical fears are like you're not fear there's not a fear of failing, right? It's a fear no. of other people watching you fail, like mm. other people seeing you fail publicly. That is the fear. Yeah. Um, and at that point, it's just like, if that is your fear of, of other people, other people are still not doing what you're doing. Like wow. other people are still not putting themselves out there. Other people are still not putting their brands out there, taking their brands seriously. So if you are the one that says, okay, I've decided to do this, what are you scared of about what they will say? Right. That's what I will always say. It's like figure out like those pieces that you just don't know about. What is it that you are unsure of in regards to your holistic brand that relates to your profession and your passion? Because when you are more sure about it or when you know more about it, that fear tends to diminish. I wouldn't necessarily say completely go away, though. Yeah, it just it, it recedes back in the background. You're more able to kind of step up and kind of lead you know, what it is you want to be lead, lead with and what, what you want people to know for. You know, do you do you feel as if, you know, right now, especially the fact that everyone's going through a pandemic and there's been millions of people who have lost their jobs, you know, why is it so important for people to build brand now, whether it be within their workforce or online through LinkedIn? And by the way, don't you have a LinkedIn course that you kind of crafted for people around this as well? Yes, 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 yes. So... So two questions. I want to make sure I have them. Number one, why is it important to be branding yourself right now? But then two, the course. Um, yeah. so yes, I do have a course. It's called Building Brand Authority. It's an eight week coaching program um, where we pretty much talk about it's not just LinkedIn. Um, mm -hmm. It's the core or the basis of it is LinkedIn and content strategies to get you found, seen and heard within your industry. Um, but it's more so about how do you really bring those two, like I said, those two identities together of your profession and your passion, and then really figure out who your audience is and what content can cater best to your audience for your brand. So that's what we identify and we work through to pretty much make sure that you're getting inbound opportunities from LinkedIn, because LinkedIn is your static web page, your website, even if you don't know. So that's what I will get into of like why you need to be building it right now. Um, is because LinkedIn, like for those of you who do not have a website, LinkedIn is your website. Yeah. You, you would agree, right, Tim? Agreed, 100%. It is. <laughs> it's, it's, it's your website. Like when people tell me or they ask me, it's like, oh, like I have this idea. Let me go create a website. Should I go create a website, Precious? No. Cater to, I want you to fix the website you already have, which is your LinkedIn profile. Because what many people don't know is when you search your name, if you do have a LinkedIn profile, right? Which for the most part, we're grown. You should. <laughs> but when you Google your name, LinkedIn is one of like the top five search results that are going to show up. 
So that means people are going to click that profile and immediately when they click that profile, they're basing what they think about you on what is on that profile. How have you set that up? Right. So at that point, that is why it's so important, especially for those who may have been affected by COVID-19, right, in relation to job loss or getting a new job. That's why it's so important, because when you have that profile up to date, when you take care of your personal brand and you understand the value that you bring, right? A personal brand isn't necessarily just for someone who is selling a product or a service. Mm -hmm. Every single person has a personal brand. Every single person. Your personal brand is pretty much literally, quite literally, the energy, right? The value that you bring into each and every room and situation. What is the consistent energy or value that people can expect from you when interacting with you online, in person, and in any other form, right? That is your personal brand. So that is what you want to communicate more on your LinkedIn profile than say, I've been playing with Excel for like the past seven years. <laughs> like that, like that, that's not what you want to do. You really want to go and you want to use your LinkedIn profile to actually communicate the value that you bring to each and every instance and environment. And I say value so that I make it very clear that there's value in both your profession and your passion. That is where the synergy comes in or where you can find that synergy is by identifying okay, what is the commonality? Like at the core of my career and at the core of this passion project that I have on the side, what is the similarity? What is the synergy? Like you said earlier, what is that harmony between them? For me, whether I am podcasting, whether I am coaching over branding, whether I am in my career at Accenture, you are always like, there's always this piece of clarity that people typically tell me, right? Like after speaking with me, they get some type of clarity. When you're listening to my podcast, it's on, hey, why I should be branding myself. When you're coaching with me, right, it's how do I brand myself? How do I bring these identities together? That's the clarity that you get. And in my job, it's the same thing. Clarity on data, right? Because that is where I'm at. And then even furthermore, I'm within the digital practice. So it's still related to this branding and marketing piece. So that is what I would say is just like, you need to be branding yourself right now because Honestly, your brand, your personal brand is your career insurance. If nothing else works out, your personal brand is going to work out. It wow. works when you don't. You know, we need to we need to we need to definitely have people note that down. Your personal brand is your career insurance because that's a huge 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 tidbit. It's so important because a lot of people don't often realize that that is what's going to differentiate you not only in the short term but the long term of your career, it's your career insurance. That's powerful. You need to put that in the book, Precious. <laughs> Tim, you've been on me about this book. I swear to you. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> it, it definitely has to come. It definitely has to come. And more importantly, I want you to share a little bit about where can the people follow you and your movement with the brand table as well as get locked in on this course that you just recently released around LinkedIn. Absolutely. So you can find more information about me, number one, numero uno, from my personal website, um, preciouscprice.com. I see it in the comments here. Just go there and every other place you will find me at Precious C Price. Um, it is the same. My brand is very consistent. <laughs> um, so I am located on every 
social platform except TikTok because I don't, <laughs> I don't dance, but Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. I have a Facebook group um, where we do live video trainings every single week. You can find me there. And then those are also broadcasted on Instagram as well. So wherever you are, you can likely find me as well. And that's how we can work together. And it's for those of that are interested in um, my course, Building Brand Authority, that is just www.preciouscprice.com slash BBA. Building Brand Authority. And you have just heard it from the queen of building brand and more importantly, the queen of the brand table herself, Mrs. Price. Precious, what is your powerful takeaway for our guy community? Because there's so many people right now who I know are probably going to be following up with you and like, I need this. I need what you have. I need your, your, your guidance. How can people really kind of, I guess take take their careers to that next level through branding. What would you? What would be your powerful takeaway on that? Mm, taking their careers to the next level with yeah. branding. I will say branding is the next innovation. <laughs> <laughs> branding more than anything is simply just putting yourself out there and telling your story. Uh, typically, especially those of us who are in corporate or maybe in consulting, we mm -hmm. overthink this concept of personal branding to where we think that it's like, OK, I got to like have something to teach. What am I teaching people? What am I teaching people? You're teaching people absolutely nothing. You don't don't think of it in terms of you are teaching people something. You're telling them your story. You're mm -hmm. telling them your lessons learned. You're telling them your experiences. And from that, they take their own teachings. But when you frame it in the aspect of you trying to teach, it becomes a little bit overwhelming. So my charge or my challenge to everybody that's listening today is think about the one thing this week, the one piece of content that you can put out there that you are telling a piece of your story, a really distinct piece that you'd like to be known for. Figure out what that is and how you can do that. Powerful. Powerful. Understand your story so you can tell it more effectively. Love it. Appreciate you so much, Mrs. Price. We definitely need to have you on for a future episode. What do you think, Precious? Absolutely. Keep coming. Yeah. Out I love it. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully, Rob, when you drop the brand table, the book. Yeah? Yes. <laughs> I'm sick of you in this book. <laughs> 2021, y'all. 2021 is coming. Right from Precious Price. Look, thank you. Appreciate you, Precious. Talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. And that was the amazing Precious Price. Make sure you check out the movement that she's leading on PreciousPrice.com, her website. We're going to take a bit of a break. We do have an amazing guest coming up, Mrs. Jessica Alonzo, who's going to talk a little bit more about her passion around humanity and ethics. And, you know, have the lovely pleasure of just connecting with her on, on Twitter. And she was like, I would love to be on your show to talk a little bit more about what I'm passionate about. And we're going to dive deep with her soon on this episode of the b2b live jam session if you are tuning in from oakland much love hope you're taking care of yourself this lovely lovely tuesday evening and more importantly rest in peace chadwick bozeman please please show him love watch all of the episodes of black panther the marvel universe series and jackie robinson all of the amazing 42 everything that you know chadwick has done please go ahead and check it out and, you know, please make sure you're staying safe and healthy and you are away from all of the violence that is happening on and going on in our world and that you are staying safe and, you know, in a, in a, in a place of peace and uh, meditation. Because I think more now more than ever in the world, we do need love. With that said, going to play some amazing jams for you all. Going to take a little bit of break and then make sure and introduce our next guest, 
Jessica Alonzo, who is a rocket fire of a woman who's going to share a little bit more about her passion for human humanity and tech, as well as ethics in tech as well. So talk to you in a few. B2B jam session. Super excited about my next guest. You know, definitely just connected with her on Twitter not too long ago. And super excited about all the content that she was sharing around humane tech and the importance of ethics in tech. And was so inspired by her work that I was like, look, we got to have you on the jam session. You're amazing. You're brilliant. And you're quite an inspiration. And you all are going to feel the same energy when we have her talk and share a little bit more about her passion for humanity focused tech. Jessica Alonso is passionate about humanity focused and social science educated. She's a social science educated tech optimist who's dreaming up a better world and looking for ways to get greater humanity into technology. And that's, those are my favorite words because we're so um, intentional about inclusion and ethics when it comes to how we build technology, even in our product. And now more than ever, we think there's a greater recognition and need for humane tech that is good for our well-being and our mindset, especially in a world where we're experiencing a public health crisis. So we're super excited to have her on the show, dive deep a little bit more about her background, how she got passionate about this, and some of the things that she's currently doing to drive her movement and lead her mission. 
Jessica, what's up? Hi, Tim. I'm so excited to be here with you. I love the serendipity of how this all worked out. <laughs> right? Isn't life so serendipitous in that matter? You know, it's such an honor to have you on the show. Where are you? Are you, You're tuning in from Mountain View, right? That's right. I'm in Mountain View, California, not too far away. Not too far away from Oakland. How long have you been living in California, by the way, Jessica? I grew up in California, actually. I, I uh, was born about a, an hour out east from San Francisco, and I made my way to um, Silicon Valley in, um, let's see, 2011. Wow. Moved to Palo Alto for my first tech job. And it was really, um, it was really something. <laughs> so I, I don't know if I'll ever leave California. I'm kind of born and bred here. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Once in California, always in California, especially if you were born here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. My family's still here. We're all pretty close and we see each other relatively frequently. And Silicon Valley, I think, might be where I need to be for um, what I'm trying to do out here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'd love for you to share a little bit of and, and, and kind of touch on, you know, how long, how did you get into the tech world? You know, because you've been an engineer for quite some time and you currently mm -hmm. work with Intuit as one of their principal software engineers within their technology futures division. How did you get passionate about tech? And, you know, how did you break through being one of the many uh, minorities in tech, being a, a woman in tech at that? I would love for you to share a little bit about your background and journey as a technologist. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I always think about Dan Carlin on Hardcore History, where he points out that the hardest thing is choosing where to start the story. <laughs> because really, back from the moment I was a baby, we had a computer in the house, which really lent itself to um, me developing technical literacy at a really early age. And I loved computers, I loved video games. I, and when the internet cropped up, when I was, let's say, maybe 12 or so, I was obsessed with it immediately. And just being a girl, my friends weren't that into it. So as a, as a you know, teenager or um, you know, as you get into that age, it kind of fell apart as a hobby and nobody really told me, hey, Jessica, you're really good with computers. You should study that or something. And so I went off to college and of course by then Facebook was around and the internet was such a pivotal fixture of my college experience um, that I still stayed engaged with it, but I ended up studying human development in college at uh, UC Davis. And the reason how I ended up in human development, I spent about two years like flopping around to different majors. I'm way too curious and uh, flighty between ideas to study one thing and commit to it right away. So I went through neuroscience and exercise biology and psychology and all these things. I actually completed all of the pre-med OCHEM biology and calculus, which didn't even end up counting toward my major, but it was stuff I was good at. So I just went for it. And then, um, but human development, the reason that I got drawn to it was the variety of educational background that, that was included. So there were these human development classes where you touched on each different age range of human life, you know, early childhood, all the way through aging, uh, longevity and death and like a full picture. But then I also took a lot of upper division psychology and sociology and anthropology and history and literature and philosophy. So this was what I needed because this was the perfect thing for somebody who just wanted a buffet of learning and didn't want to commit too hard to any one thing. And I had a lot of great experiences. One of my favorite things there was I spent two quarters in college as a caregiver in a preschool that was associated with the university where you would apply the latest research for child development immediately. And you would learn all these really cool things about what it meant to work with children. And then it was after college. I was trying to decide what I wanted to do next. And I had a few options and I 
was working as a waitress at Chili's in my hometown. <laughs> Literally. I love Chili's, yeah. by the way. Chili's is, Chili's is actually <laughs> underrated. Like people will say bad things, but there are things on that menu that hold up tremendously well. <laughs> and, uh, and I was pretty good at, a, as being a, at being a waitress, actually. It was, it was quite a lot of mental effort, you know, at rush hour and everything. I can say actually for a fact that as a software engineer, being a caregiver in a preschool or a waitress at rush hour, it is as mentally taxing as the most complex pieces of code I've ever written. So it was in that gap where I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And by a really random turn of events that I is hard for me to even explain, I randomly decided that I was going to try to build a blog. And I hadn't really coded before at all. And I decided I would design it myself. So I learned Photoshop, I learned HTML, I learned Google Blogspot. Eventually I learned WordPress and PHP. And what I found was I was staying up all night coding and like designing and coding and tweaking and trying things. And I was like, oh, you love this. This is great fun for you. So maybe let's like lean into that and try it out. Uh, I spent about a year living at my parents' house, teaching myself how to code. My big brother had an idea for a website where somebody could read um, books in foreign languages online and um, highlight words you don't know and get an instant translation via Google Translate. Uh, it was called the Polyglot Project. He said, could you build this thing? And I was like, I don't know, I'll try. <laughs> Let's see. And uh, so I did, and I set out doing that. I didn't know anyone who built software, so anytime I had a bug come up, I just had to bang my head on the desk until an answer came out. And eventually we launched it. And then we did some little ways of getting it out there, got a couple hundred people a day using it. It was really cool. This was actually over a year before Duolingo came out. So wow. in terms of placing that in time, but we didn't really know what to do with it next. And he was studying for the bar and I was anxious to get a job and move out. And it turned out that the Polyglot Project was the first piece of my resume that people wanted to talk to me about. Wow. And so then I got uh, just a few interviews because I still didn't look good on paper relative to how Silicon Valley typically operates. But I got an interview at a social gaming company called Kabam, which at the time was based in Redwood Shores. And I went to that interview. It was for a front end engineering position. I got most of the questions wrong. But <laughs> every time I got the question wrong, I would start asking the interviewer questions and I would learn it on the spot. And I, and then what I realize now as a person who interviews for entry, people for entry level positions, I was like, I get why that worked because as a junior engineer coming in, really what you're looking for is potential and grit and ability to learn and ability to listen and ability to ask good questions. And I was like, okay, I understand now why they hired me. Yeah. And that was my first job in Silicon Valley. And since then I um, have mostly gone to other startups. Um, one was an e-commerce subscription company that, you know, when the subscription boxes came around, like Dollar Shave Club and Stitch Fix, those sort of things, we did that for baby clothes or baby stuff, right? So developmentally appropriate um, snacks and toys and things like that. And after that, my the last startup I was at was called Experial, where we made a no-code platform for the Internet of Things. And for that at that experience, which I was at for about five years, I went from being a software engineer to being the director of engineering and integrated with the leadership team of that company. So I really got to flex a lot of new skills. I was not just coding anymore. I was a product owner and you know a manager and a leader and all of these things. And now I'm at Intuit on the futures team. And just to be super clear, I do not do PR for Intuit. So nothing <laughs> I'm saying is on their behalf, just to get that out of the way. 
Um, and I'm pretty new there. I've only been there for about a month. So even the stuff we talk about, about the tech industry, it's not really about into it specifically. Um, but I've been in tech now for about nine and a half years. Hmm. And I think that my, I noticed that I'm, um, a bit lonely in, in the Silicon Valley world as being a person with my background and my interests and the things that I care about. Right. And I'm, I've always found, even from the very beginning, that I had to be the one to bring up certain concerns, certain um, points of view that, that were very much um, informed by that college background and that in, the interest that led me to that background. And um, that's how I got in. And for, but I, it's strange because there's all this history to it. But really, I feel like I'm just getting started. Yeah. There's, there's a whole thing ahead. Well, let's talk deep on it, right? Because you know, <laughs> it's really important what you're talking about is the convergence of humanities and technology. And you are really, truly in a unique space because there's only until recently been kind of this revival around the importance on us building inclusive and humane tech. Humane, humane tech. Would love for you to kind of define, you know, what do you consider to be humane technology? And, you know, what are some of the examples right now that you've really, really kind of like lashed onto? It's like, this is really, really good. This is from an inclusive ledge. Love to hear that. Oh, honestly. Okay. So I don't, I don't want to sound too negative. I have a really high bar actually. Yeah. And so I'm waiting to, I'm trying to help people reach that high bar, but to, to set some ground rules, it really has to start from real people and their real lives and real problems that they face that really affect them. And when I'm a big systems thinker, so when I pull back and I see all the little mechanisms of how Silicon Valley works, I see that the system itself is not set up that well to fund and promote companies and products that take this approach, because this approach actually takes longer to do, because you have to um, start from a place of problems. And if you look at um, not only the largest companies in tech today, the, the really the behemoth, billionaire, huge companies, um, and most companies that get funded, you'll see that uh, programmers are actually overrepresented as startup founders. And it makes a lot of sense why. Because when you're working in tech and you're writing a bunch of code, it's really easy to see, okay, if I take this from AWS and this open source project and this other piece of code and I just add this one thing, boom, I can make something that's brand new that nobody's done before. And then if that thing is profitable, you will get funded. Like it, it is all of venture capital is set up to recognize programmers can start companies that can make money. So it's very easy for someone in those shoes to go get funded. And that ends up just making kind of what we're seeing, right? And um, I, but programmers are really solutions oriented. They're thinking about how and what can be done, but why I lean on the humanities and social scientists and just a broader range of le legitimate diversity, right? I mean, diversity of all kinds of identity, of background. It's critical that we get that right for this to work out um, because that changes what you think about the what and the how, and what and the why. What should we build and why should we build it? And what should we not build and why shouldn't we build it? Mm. That sort of stuff comes from ethics and philosophy and sociology and psychology and an understanding of history. And so this is my kind of proposal. If you start from a problem that real people face in their real lives and all kinds of people, tech also tends to serve problems that programmers feel. 
right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've met very few people who wanted a Juicero and like, we're, <laughs> we're going after that. And we're saying, yes, that's the problem I need fixing. That's, that is a, there's a class of problem that gets solved for a certain socioeconomic status, a certain community, a certain ki kind of person out there in the world. And it's very easy for people in Silicon Valley to to envision the future of those products. But the products that other communities need, they're not so obvious. And they take getting really deep with that community on the problems that they face. And you, you have to understand the problem to death before you set, decide what is the solution and what is my business model going to be? Because by the time you've committed to a solution or a business model, that is when you've decided whether or not 10 years from now you are going to be creating harm. Wow. And so, or at least that's my theory. So all of this is a theory that I'm working out. And just so it is clear that I'm not like a critic throwing, you know, tomatoes from the cheap seats, I'm, I have skin in the game. I've always had skin in the game with technology. I will have skin in the game this way. I have products to build and a company to form, and I'm going to practice what I preach. Yeah. And, and I'm going to iterate on that advice as well. No, it's so powerful because you're you're speaking you're speaking to the choir. And first of all, you make all humanities majors kind of like proud because I'm a psychology major and design and designer by training. And I agree with you 100 percent. There's so much ethics and humanities involved in how you should go about building products. And a, a great example even is for us as we built a guide, you know, still early days for us. We from the ground up thought about how are we making even an inclusive community of creators who have diverse perspectives, diverse way of lives. Maybe some of them have families. Maybe some of them are, you know, just entrepreneurial. Like, how are we really thinking about just building that inclusion from the ground up, even just within our community? Because they're kind of offering our created and curated content. And that was really important to us because we didn't want to just have a platform of people who all thought the same or just came from the same industry or just come from the same niche. You need that diversity because you want to have an, a, like a, di a diverse variety of curated content and perspectives. So like inclusion like goes a really long way to, in building better products. But I think it, it was so powerful about what you're saying is how you touched on something, how even the business model can also kind of hinder how inclusive or ethical you are long term. And I think that's something that a lot of different companies are kind of coming to terms with today in their products and how, how are they thinking about gamification and does the product, is it right that a product gamifies attention? And, you know, it's really powerful because it's it's something that early on, as you're building a product, you're not thinking about. But later on, once it becomes a monster of a product, you start to think about it. You're you're 100 percent right. And what one thing I want to make clear also is that I think a lot of people want to focus on individual figures in the tech company or in the tech industry, individual companies, individual founders. And while that is important and at some point we do need to grapple with, well, where is this specific person going with this? Right. That's a lot of these things are unprecedented in their scale, in their reach, in their influence and impact. There isn't actually a good story in history to look back to to say, well, how did that turn out? Right. We have to actually have people who can kind of take in the whole system right now and predict some things and have foresight. It's not hindsight is not enough here. We have to keep our eye on the ball going forward. And so but what I want to make sure is clear is that when people are starting these companies, they're really excited about their ideas. Right. And they and they that can carry you away with just thinking about the positive, about mm -hmm. about how big this can be, how exciting, how great this can be. But if you want to do this right, if you take 
um, reducing harm seriously. And if you can really get in touch with just how much you don't want to hurt anybody, which I think is really great, you should also try to think really hard about the future in terms of how can this go wrong? And yeah. beyond how can this go wrong, what am I going to do when this goes wrong? Because one of the things you learn in the humanities is that uh, there's this really great quote um, that all models are wrong, but some are useful. And that means that literally every bit of science that we have about humans, about societies, about psychology, about tech, every model is at the very least incomplete, if not wrong, because we are always continuing to learn more. Like psychology is an evolving field. They're all evolving fields, right? Sure. So you can't say, this is how humans work. I'm going to put all my chips on the fact that humans work this way and put my chips down that I fully understand it. And I can now go experiment upon billions of people with that understanding and just trust that I'm not going to introduce harm. No, there are tons and tons of people who build things with their hearts and minds in the right place, and then unintended consequences come for them, right? And and then the, so much harm is done inadvertently. And in a certain way, yeah, I kind of do want to know if this person or that person is nefarious in what they're doing, but it's a little bit of a distraction because we actually have to protect ourselves from both, from both, at, you know, um, intentional harm and unintentional harm. And as a founder, what I am going to take very seriously is planning ahead for the moment when I, I made my plan, I was so careful and I really tried to box myself out of doing harm. What am I going to do when I find out I was wrong? What, what about when the harm comes? Am I going to be ready? Am I going to have the right people on my board, the right team, the right investors to be able to say, sorry, we're pivoting. I, we're pivoting away because I need to steer this ship away from that iceberg because I'm not going to be the one to do that. And that that takes moral fortitude and foresight. And and honestly, my number one value that I wish we could go forward with it in tech is humility, like humility to the fact that your users as a group of people are a force of nature. Humans are natural beings. We are we act now like we're computers, but we're not. We're we're natural beings who are using computers, able to do things at a speed and scale that we never could do before. That deserves humility. And it does and I think if I could just do one thing, <laughs> if I could instill one thing in founders it would be humility. If it was a second thing, I might do emotional literacy, but you know, I, I do have a list. <laughs> so the last one would probably be ethics, right? <laughs> oh, ethics, is, ethics is a big part of this, but yeah. I, think that, I think that to be an ethical, morally grounded person, you actually have to have the emotional literacy to see negative things bubble up in you mm -hmm. and, and know how, be ready to deal with them. I, I think about this a lot in terms of communication. Um, I've seen in tech a lot of people who think themselves very woke, think themselves allies. And that all is well and good until they're in conflict with a woman or a person of color or somebody that, you know, they haven't prepared their minds for that moment where this, where a, a woman tells you you're wrong. A woman tells you you've mistreated somebody. What are you going to do then? And so that emotional literacy is really about like feeling where those feelings reside in you and not letting them drive. Because I can imagine, okay, you, Maybe you vote for all the right people or support all the right things. But then I'm like, you know, actually the way that you responded to me just then was unacceptable. If um, if you have defensiveness bubble up in you now, maybe a defensive response will come out. And that defensive response is actually the problem. Um, and so emotional literacy could go a long way to helping with that. Powerful. You know what? <laughs> 
I think you need to write a book on this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I will be writing in some form or another. I'm not ruling anything out. This problem is so important to me. I think it literally might be the difference between whether or not we have a chance to take another look at tech in 10 to 20 years. I think we're, we have some things going on that we can't tell where they're going. We can't tell how bad they're going to get and how quickly. If a book is one of the tools that will help, maybe I'll do that. But I am all my options are open. The problem is the point. The solutions are there could be a hundred of them. So I'm looking for every avenue to approach this problem. Love it, Jessica. You know, Jessica, thank you so much. Cause I mean, I told the audience that and I told our community that you're a ball of energy and inspiration on this topic. And they clearly see that. So you're definitely bringing that to the table in this conversation. You know, I want to show love to Mr. Kenzo who's saying, wow, he's just been enamored by what you're saying. Mr. Namoris Ford is saying, that's great. And more importantly, you know, Kenzo is literally relating with you. He's saying, you're right. Humility is of the importance, right? And we need more of that in technology and within founders. Jessica, who have been some of the, the people who have shaped your perspective on how we can do a better job on, um, you know, building humane technology? Oh, it's a, it's a very broad range. If you can tell, I don't really go into one lane. I'm pulling influence from everywhere. Yeah. Um, one of one sort of a hero that I've been thinking about lately that I realize not a lot of people know about is Jane Jacobs. Mm. So she was an amateur sociologist, urban planner back in, I think the fifties or so. And she was just a mother. She, she had no credentials. And she un, she looked at the system of the way the world worked, and she introduced a new understanding of cities and how cities function. And wow. before her, people would just demolish um, would just demolish neighborhoods. They, you know, they would they would call a neighborhood a slum because of its density, and they would just destroy it to build up something more dense, right? And she said, "No, wait, that's a neighborhood. That's where people live. That's where communities reside. You can't just demolish it." And to me, what is so inspirational about her, and why I take her as somebody to think a lot about as I go forward in technology, is sometimes you need to pull way back. Question all the things people tell you about. No, it, it works this way and it has to work that way. Why? Like, no, let's change it. Come on, you're all open-minded, innovative people. Let's let's change this thing up. I'm like, partially technology, I think right now is also a little boring, honestly. <laughs> like we can do so much cooler stuff and so much stuff that's better for us. And so for her to kind of have the gumption to say, no, you're all misunderstanding the way this works actually. And we need to do something better to take care of people that really sticks in my mind and i i pull a lot of um inspiration from a lot of just courageous people oprah's awesome and i don't oh, think, people think i don't think like people think enough about how awesome oprah is but uh lots of women that that just went for it and didn't hear anybody tell them no and um there are there are actually really good things to take from some of the big tech giant uh, heroes that are out there. Um, you can watch things from Steve Jobs and get a lot out of that. But we need to not conflate, you know, some of the personal aspects of these people with their success, right? I think Steve Jobs could have been very good and been kinder to people, right? I, I think that's that's possible. And I actually, 
One reason why I'm very hesitant to even kind of name heroes is because I think that the deification of successful people, especially wealthy, successful people who are business successes, is actually one of the critical problems we see in tech. People are so starved for heroes that they're like, oh, that person made a couple billion dollars. I'm going to live my life like that person. And I'm like, hold on, let's pump the brakes because I think that person is literally only a success in the business sense. And we can dream a bit bigger and be dream about being successful in an entirely different way. And that's kind of why I, I cast a really wide net for inspiration. Yeah, and a, a diverse and inclusive net. No, agree with you, you know, that, and that's really important. I think uh, in, in technology, we do idola, um, idolize a lot of figurines um, to our detriment, and it's unhealthy sometimes. And sometimes you just have to um, recognize people for their work and be grateful for it, but understand still that, you know, you know, there's certain things that they can do that can be better at and they can be more ethical at and could probably allow them to be a, a much better person. So I actually really agree with that philosophy. That's why even for me personally, you know, I always encourage people um, definitely be inspired by me. But, you know, you don't have to look up to me or copy me because everyone, you know, follows their own footsteps in, in this life. And we're all so unique beings and we don't all actually share the same vision on life. We all have our own unique visions and um, unique interpretations on what we want to kind of manifest in the world. So kind of like always want to like lead your path. So that's really powerful, Jessica, that you said that. And Mr. Kenzo says, I don't look up to no one. So he's feeling you on that as well. Jessica, <laughs> Perfect. Jessica, it's an honor having you on the show. You know, what is, how can people kind of connect with you and, and follow your movement? Because you're pretty active on Twitter, but is there elsewhere where we, we can follow more of your work? So there's going to be a lot more. I'm going to be writing, hopefully doing more things like this. I this is I really believe these are conversations we need to be having in public. No more programmers going into a back room somewhere and deciding what's going to happen to all of us, right? We need to kind of air these things out and make sure people understand the trade-offs we're making. So hopefully more conversations like this. I am very active on Twitter at my username, Jessica M. Alonso. And you can find me on LinkedIn. If people have commented on these videos, I'll come by and uh, chat with anyone who has questions or comments or anything. And I really, I, it, it was truly an honor to be on your show. You're such a prolific and inspirational person. Um, and I, I, I'm really honored that you invited me. And so I look forward to continuing the conversation with you and with your audience over probably on Twitter, but find me anywhere. I'm, I'm, very online. <laughs> yeah, I see very online. You know, very online and very active on Twitter. I follow Jessica on Twitter and she's an inspiration. I love her tweets. Shout out to my boy Ziz, who's going to get the last word, the last clap today. Thank you so much for tuning in, Ziz, and showing us all kinds of love. Jessica, thank you so much. We need you to write this book and then come back on the show so we can dive deep on the book. What do you think? Uh, I think we have so much to talk about that I'll come back anytime. Um, and maybe it'll be a book, maybe it'll be medium, maybe it'll be a company, maybe it'll be a product. Ooh. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. I love <laughs> I love it. As long as we have goals to, to strive for, I love it. Thank you so much, Jessica. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye, Jessica. And that was the amazing Jessica Alonzo on Guy Live B2B Jam Session. Please follow up with her and check out some of the amazing work she's doing in the space of thinking about how do we create much more inclusion and in humane technology, more inclusive and humane technology, I think it's a really powerful um, thing that she's working on. And more importantly, I'm inspired by it. And a lot of her philosophy, we kind of apply in terms of how we think about product development within Guide. And I think a lot of people should apply to how they think about not only just product development, but also societal issues, as well as how we can be better 
to in terms of race relations as well. So definitely check it out if you're super interested in learning more about her work. And also check out my amazing friend, Precious Price, who is the CEO and founder of The Brand Table. If you need to elevate your personal brand, Precious Price is the person that you need to talk to. She was on prior to Jessica, and she's super amazing in leading her movement around helping people develop and build their personal brand. With that said, yep, Precious Price, Kenzo, Precious Price. Isn't that an amazing it's an alliteration? Precious Price, Precious Price. With that said, thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of Guy Live B2B Jam Session. Please, please, please check out guideapp.co. Our movement continues to build and it's compounding. And more importantly, we're still in beta, always in beta. So check us out, sign up for early access, and we'll make sure we get it to you as soon as possible. With that said, thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you stay safe. Rest in peace to the late, great Chadwick Bozeman. We love you, brother. We miss you. Hope you're resting well in heaven. And don't you forget, be good to each other, be kind to each other, and as always, peace, love, and abundance. And before we exit, want to show love to Ziz. Ziz, her website is preciousprice.com. And Jessica, she doesn't have a website, but she you can follow her on Twitter, and I'll make sure that we add her Twitter anger in the comments. So you can follow Jessica on Twitter. She's super active on there. And I've also mentioned her on this LinkedIn, and I've also mentioned Precious, Precious on this LinkedIn post as well, if you're tuning in on LinkedIn. All right, y'all. Once again, peace, love, and abundance. Be good to each other. All right, y'all. Peace.